It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. How about that Dobbs decision on abortion? Are you sanguine or are you freaked out? I'll talk with Mike Davis from the Article 3 Project about that in just a minute. But let me just say a few things before we get into the legal parsing of that decision, as well as a couple of minutes on the gun decision and the Coach Kennedy decision. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath because I've um, still got the effects of COVID. Yeah, I mean, I sound like an old lady, which I am, but not that old, okay? Um, Also, by the way, uh, Coach Kennedy is going to be on the next edition of the Adult in the Room podcast. Now, I know a lot of young women are out there who are upset and perplexed and pissed off about this Dobbs decision. Now, part of the reason they're upset is because they've never lived in a world without Roe v. Wade and KCV, Planned Parenthood of Pennsylvania decisions, being in existence. They believe their right to abort their babies is absolute, that it appears in the Constitution, that it should be inviolable. You've been led to expect this, and I understand why you would be so put off by this. So many people are out uh, setting fires, literally setting fires, setting pro-life clinics on fire? I mean, that's absurd. Antifa's getting into the act. You know the drill by now. There are crazy people on libs of TikTok who are screeching and showing us video of their freakouts. I'm not sure why they think that we need to know them, but there you are. But there are a few things about this decision that you should know. You're smart. You're listening to this program. I mean, you, there is a high barrier to get into this program. And, and uh, as my daughter told me, Mom, you know, it's just a little, you know, esoteric sometimes. And um, and so I, I'm trying to just reach you where you are. Now, I'm not being flippant when I say I encourage you to read all three decisions. If you've got a minute or 5,000. Uh, The latest decision on Dobbs, Roe v. Wade, and Casey. Start with Dobbs because it goes through all of Roe v. Wade and Casey and talks about their uh, problems, actually. But but by all means, you know, avail yourself of all three uh, and listen to all of the decisions as well, the oral arguments. It's not the whole show, but at least it gives you an idea what some of the major arguments were of the cases. Inform yourself. It is the best way to stay true to your beliefs, to know that you and your viewpoints on these things are on strong, firm ground. For me, I am the adult in the room, and I was around in 1973 when this decision was handed down. Sure, I was young. I don't remember much about it. But as I grew up and got into the news biz and read and saw the Casey decision come down as I was a professional, I realized that many states had already approved abortion in one form or another, one stage or another, years and years prior to 1973. And it became a national thing, and I'll tell you why in just a second. The abortion lobby, and that's exactly what this is rightly believed that if women, and I said rightly believed that if women could control the most important thing that differentiates them from men, childbirth, that would bring them more equality and autonomy in the workplace. That was their number one goal. Indeed, between abortion on demand, which is what we have now, 
and the pill and other kinds of contraceptives, women became more of a force in the workplace. I am woman, hear me roar. Eventually in 1991, and you may not know this, so listen up because this is important. Uh, You didn't see anybody freaking out over the decision in 1991 Roe v. Wade and its discussions of penumbras and emanations, its talk of viability and privacy, were all thrown under the bus. Did you know that? In 1991, the KCV Planned Parenthood of Pennsylvania decision subsumed Roe v. Wade. Just so, you know, yeah, well, yeah, that's uh, stare decisis. It's, uh, you know, we we found it. Those guys in 1973 found abortion in the Constitution. We're not even going to deal with that in this this particular uh, decision. We're just going to assume it to be true. And then by doing that, they just sort of piled on lie after lie after lie. And then they moved the test of whether or not women were, uh, you know, could get abortions from the idea of privacy being found in the penumbras and emanations and, you know, whatever permutations of the Constitution. And um, and they moved it into the realm of undue burden, undue burden for the woman. And of course, that, as we found out in the subsequent years, no standard at all. Everything could be the undue burden of a woman. I mean, it was the undue burden on me. I, I don't want to have a kid. I don't I want to work and that I'm going to have to pay for childcare. I mean, everything came under the undue burden of a woman. And so it became no standard at all. I mean, you know that there has been abortion on demand almost to the day of birth in some states. I mean, that's um, that's wrong. I think we can all agree that's ethically incorrect and wrong and morally repugnant. So. But now I may differ from you on that, and that's okay. We could have a difference of opinion. But as we know, that was no standard at all. Everything could be an undue burden of the woman. And that's not opinion. It's fact. That's really what happened. So what was interesting about these two decisions was that in both the state, the courts through the courts, state actor, continued to assume a state interest and in whose interest was that? The baby's interest, because they knew there was no voice for the babies, even in Roe v. Wade. They assumed a state interest. Now, we have an interest in this baby's fate. And so that's why we're setting out, you know, the viability in the first trimester and the second trimester, you know, and all that stuff. And, and the, even in Casey, notwithstanding the fact that it essentially gave abortion on demand, it was, well, we still have a stated role in the life of this child. So that was never anything off the table. A lot of people, I believe, think that and they believe that that was the state of play in the law. And that's not. Um, It was just as to whether or not what we did with that information from a political perspective. And as a result of all these these decisions, it became, well, well, wait a minute now. You've got a what is the undue burden on a woman? And then subsequently, we had all these different laws in all the different states say, you know what? We think that the uh, baby, we have a state interest in the baby, and we think that after 15 weeks, like, for example, the Dobbs v. Mississippi decision that just came out in the last few days, uh, they said that 15 weeks, that's it, cut off time, whatever. And so uh, for some reason, everybody's freaking out about that. There are entire countries in Europe, um, most of the countries in Europe uh, are some, you know, take the view that abortion is 
is uh, way too late at that point in time. So anyway, a lot of people point to Europe and say, well, you know, we're just a one of a we're a one off. Nancy Pelosi said we're a one off. We no, no. Our abortion policies are so liberal in this country that we were with North Korea and China. And that is not an over statement. That is, that's pretty pathetic, folks. I mean, they, they limit the number of people that they can have in their country because they have so little food because they don't allow the, they don't allow capitalism for the most part. Anyway, that's another, that's another issue. It's all, it's all related though, isn't it? Interesting. So in all of that, government acknowledged it had a role to play, had an interest in the life of the baby. And so it is today. And what the Dobbs decision did was to end the lying about abortion being in the Constitution. I mean, you may want it, wish it there. You can wish cast all you want, but it ain't there. And I know you're thinking, well, lots of things aren't in the Constitution, you adult in the room lady. And yet we have rules about them all now, don't we? Well, what you witnessed in the Dobbs decision was a court that decided to stop lying to you about abortion and show some humility. I know you don't think so. Some of you do not think so. But for those of us who've been watching the court, we've never seen really the court do this in our lifetimes. Some people are older and they saw Brown v. Board of Education, you know, upend the Plessy versus Ferguson case and or you've seen the Korematsu decision. I guess I was alive in that because ultimately Ronald Reagan had the U.S. Supreme Court, I mean, you know, through dint of, you know, working up the chain of uh, courts. Uh, get rid of the Korematsu decision, which which legalized putting people in concentration camps because they were Japanese. I mean, this we've done really bad things in the name of the law, okay? Since it was decided nearly 50 years ago, legal scholars from Crazy Lawrence Tribe, I mean, that guy's just off the rails, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, remember Ruth sent us, to Robert Bork, They've all acknowledged, and many, many more people. Go read the decision, by the way. There's an entire list of people who've always said that Roe v. Wade was one of the dumbest, worst decided, most embarrassing debacles of reasoning ever to grace the doors of the Supreme Court since Plessy v. Ferguson or Korematsu. The Jim, you know, no, the Plessy v. Ferguson was the separate but equal, uh, and codifying Jim Crow separate but equal decisions. And it had its doors blown off nearly 60 years. Can you imagine? 60 years after the Brown v. Board of Education, uh, before we got Brown v. Board of Education. Can you imagine that? So, you know, people say, well, precedent, precedent, precedent. Well, you know what? When it's wrong, don't keep the precedent. Stop lying. Get rid of it. So what was behind this uh, was a political effort by the left. And, and indeed, it was the left to engage in what has become known as lawfare. Why did they do this? They went to the courts, the effort to bend the courts to make or endorse political decisions, because it's so much easier to do that in a few courtrooms than 50 state legislatures. Let me repeat that. The idea became that it was much better to try to argue these things in court, fewer courtrooms than to go and argue their positions and get votes in support of their viewpoints in 50 state legislatures. That's right. They wanted the courts because it was easier to get their political agenda through. That's why we call it lawfare. And in fact, the right decided, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to do the same thing. And so for literally, literally 50 years, the right has been after getting rid of Roe v. Wade. 50 years. It's at a glacial pace, folks. 
Now, so instead of showing some humility back then, the court said, well, sure, we'll, t- we'll take up this decision. Instead of saying, sorry, we won't take this case and we'll send it back to the legislatures and let the political process work itself out. These unelected people in black robes who decided that, you know, the liberal way was the way to do it, decided to play God. And 63 million children have not been born because of that horrible decision that was made up of whole cloth in 1973. So how you feel about that is your prerogative. Of course it is. But what makes the issue so poignant is that but for the hubris of these judges, many more children would be born now and who knows who they would be. They might be a crackhead or they might be the next Albert Einstein. We don't know. And now people are freaking out. People are vowing to leave the country. They're vowing to move out of the state they just moved to, when in fact the issue is where it always should have been in the state. The political realm of the states and the people working through their elected representatives to establish what they believe in their community standards. Community standards aren't a thing these days much because of this sort of lawfare effort, but indeed it used to be a thing. Finding the right to abortion in the Constitution was always a lie, and, and it has always been a lie. You've never known that, because we've always pretended it's there. It's an inviolable right. Doggone it. You adult in the room, lady. It's a right. It's in there, but you won't find it there. And finally, a textualist and originalist legal opinion looked at the Constitution and said, hey, hey, hey guess what? It ain't there, because it's not. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg says it's not there. That's not patriarchal. That's not fascist. That's not authoritarian. It is the complete opposite. You may not know what constitutional looks like because you've never seen it before. Here it is. Take a listen to constitutional law expert Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project. If you don't believe me, enjoy it. Well, you weren't surprised at the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, I assume. But were you surprised about anything else having to do with that decision? I I certainly wasn't surprised about the decision because it was pretty obvious from oral arguments that there were five votes to overturn Roe versus Wade and one vote the Chief Justice to uphold the 15-week Mississippi ban without overturning Roe versus Wade. So the decision was unsurprising. What's been very surprising to me is that the Attorney General Merrick Garland has allowed these illegal obstruction of justice campaign campaigns by the abortion industry at the Supreme Court, justices' homes with their wives and kids in their homes. This is uh, like I said, it's obstruction of justice under the Federal Criminal Code 18 U.S.C. 1507. These are very dangerous. We've had Supreme Court justices and their families who have had to be uh, removed from their homes back in 2020. Uh, U.S. District Court Judge Esther Salas, an Obama appointee in New Jersey, had her 20-year-old son, Daniel, murdered and her husband, Mark, seriously wounded after someone doxed her and a deranged gunman showed up to her home after she ruled on a case. This is a deadly game that the, the abortion industry activists are playing. 
and they're being encouraged to play this deadly game by the Biden administration. Jen Psaki from the White House podium encouraged these protests, and Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, has ignored federal statute and given these abortion industry activist amnesty to play their dangerous game. This led to a man traveling from California to D.C. with a gun, burglary tools, pepper spray, padded shoes and zip ties to break into Justice Kavanaugh's home in the middle of the night and to murder him, his wife and two daughters. This is inexcusable what the attorney general is doing here. He is a former federal judge. He should know better. And uh, he needs to be held accountable. When Republicans take over the House in January, they need to imp- they need to impeach him for his total dereliction of duty here that has endangered the lives of Supreme Court justices and their families. This is the most radical assault on judicial independence you can think of. This is third world stuff. It's it's definitely banana republic. It reminds me of Columbia and offing cops and judges uh, willy-nilly. And I know that that's not happening exactly here. But when you start doxing people and when you encourage this kind of behavior, you will get that kind of result. Well, we almost got it. Again, with that, uh, if there were not... If there were not federal agents standing in Justice Kavanaugh's front yard, this man may have tried to break into Kavanaugh's home and kill him and his wife and two daughters. Of that, I have no doubt. Now, as far as the person who leaked all of this information, the Ruth sent us group, the Ruth's revenge group, these people who doxed the uh, justices, the people who gave their addresses and their phone numbers and where their kids go to school, all out there on the interwebs to look at and decide what they were going to do. These people had no control over what those people were going to do. How dare they do that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the FBI needs to look at whether they're aiding and abetting this obstruction of justice, these obstruction of justice campaigns by these abortion industry activists. I mean, they're they're certainly uh, putting out federal judges' private information. They're even doxing the schools. And again, this this is a deadly game. We saw this with Judge Esther Salas and her son mm-hmm. getting killed and her husband seriously wounded. This could not continue to happen. The attorney general needs to put put out a strong message and a deterrent by arresting these people. He had no problem uh, rounding up every grandma and goofball who trespassed onto the Capitol grounds on January 6th. He had no problem sicking the FBI after parents who pub- showed up to public school board meetings to express their anger at Loudoun County School Board policies. But he can't be bothered to have the FBI arrest people who are clearly obstructing justice under 18 U.S.C. 1507 and endangering the lives of Supreme Court justices and their families, as evidenced by the fact that they had to be removed from their homes and there was an assassination attempt, yet he's still allowing these obstruction of justice campaigns to continue. That's why House Republicans need to impeach him in January, make him the first attorney general in U.S. history to be impeached. What about the leaker? So I have not had any discussions with any Supreme Court justice or any law clerks about um, what is going on inside of that building with this leak investigation, because I don't want to get dragged into it. But from the public reporting, it seems like the Supreme Court marshal and the Supreme Court police are doing a thorough investigation of this. 
Um, I think they'll find the leaker. I think it's from, if I were to presume, I would presume it is one of the 12 law clerks for the three liberal justices who leaked this draft Dobbs opinion to put pressure on Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett and maybe others to switch their vote. Like this is, they had, what they, what they did have the effect of people showed up to Supreme Court justices' homes and threatened them in their homes and even tried to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh, his wife and two daughters in their home. So they must find out who did this. They have to get to the bottom of this to the legitimate legitimacy of the court. This law clerk, presumably, um, must have their clerkship rescinded. They must not be able to go to a law firm and get their $450,000 Supreme Court signing bonus. They should be disbarred uh, and they should be referred to the Justice Department for prosecution. If they're not part of the bar, can they be preemptively disbarred? So if they're going to apply, law students are bound by ethics rules. So if they're going to apply for the bar, sure. Um, so could this person who leaked be on the hook for anything uh, having to do with justices being uh, attacked or almost attacked or their homes being uh, their their personages, personages being uh, threatened? Can that person be held accountable for that? Sure. I mean, it's going to depend on what evidence they the FBI has on the intent of, of why this person leaked this draft opinion. I think everyone knows why they did it. They were trying to put pressure on justices to change their vote or even worse, right? As we saw with the assassination attempt. So it's going to sh- come down to intense. Uh, you certainly can charge uh, criminally for uh, misuse of government, government property, um, stolen property at the low end, at the high end, you could charge for obstruction of justice and, uh, maybe other crimes, if you can show what their intent is. Mm-hmm. The um, the decision itself uh, was it in a markedly different from the original draft opinion? And were you? Uh, what did you think of the concurrences and especially Judge Robert, or just Chief Justice Roberts' concurrence? So, I mean, Chief Justice Roberts made clear how he was going to rule at oral arguments. So his concurrence is not surprising to me. He takes a more incremental approach to the law. His his view is, is they could have decided Dobbs without overturning Roe and Casey by changing the law on viability, um, where technology has changed in this country from 40 years ago, 50 years ago, where now we have morning after pills and other um, means to uh, – to terminate a pregnancy that uh, that you know make it less of a, a less of a burden on women to obtain an abortion. I just think that's kicking the can down the road, and even kicking the can down the road for a very short time because then a state's going to come in with six weeks or eight weeks or four weeks, and then you're right back where we are now. The Justice Alito's uh, majority opinion got it exactly right. He just ripped off the Band-Aid of Roe. It was horrifically reasoned and written. It was a horrifically reasoned and poorly written decision in 1973. It led to a lot more contention in this country than was necessary. Justice Alito's opinion returns abortion regulations back to the states, back to where they were for the first 200 years of our republic before seven judicial activists on the Supreme Court 49 years ago. Um, very unlawfully rewrote the Constitution 
to protect the abortion industry from state regulations. It's uh, the abortion industry was one of the one of the very few industries in America that had this type of immunity, and it was just a horrific decision. And I'm glad it was reversed. And now, uh, it, and frankly, it was an anti-democratic decision. It took abortion regulations completely out of the almost completely out of the democratic process. And uh, these abortion regulations were decided by unelected lifetime appointed paper tech federal judges. And that's just silly. It's um, it's not how the constitution was ever intended to work. And so now abortion regulations are back at the state legislatures where they belong. If you don't like abortion restrictions, move to California. If you don't like COVID restrictions, move to Florida. Yeah. What kind of an apparatus has to be dismantled now as a result of this decision? You just alluded to some of it, but and which is remarkable. Well, I mean, you're going to see the Biden administration. You're already seeing the Biden administration try to coddle and protect the abortion industry, industry through the administrative state, through executive fiat, through threats by the Biden Justice Department. Again, Merrick Garland's at the Justice Department needs to be impeached. He has completely politicized the Justice Department, which is frankly surprising because when President Biden picked him, I thought that as a former federal judge, I thought he would be an adult in the room. He was a former federal federal prosecutor as well. He has been the most political, worst attorney general I've ever seen in American history, and he needs to be impeached and held accountable for <laughs> it. And he's sick in the Justice Department after states – <clears throat> that one that he's coming up with creative ways to to try to threaten states with the with the justice department if if they try to uh, regulate abortions after the supreme court overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey and Dobbs uh the I mean, I just every once in a while, I just sit back and go, thank God for Mitch McConnell not letting Ger- uh, Merrick Garland on the U.S. Supreme Court. What a shit show that would have been. Yeah, I mean, and Mitch McConnell's great. I think the unsung hero of all of this is Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa, my former boss, who was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's the one who made the decision to block Merrick Garland from even getting a hearing on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he took a lot of heat for that back in 2016 when he was up for reelection in Iowa the last time, and Iowa was a swing state back then. It was a toss-up state. It's gotten a lot more Republican and conservative. It's gotten a lot more red-pilled after Trump and BLM and Antifa and the the wokeness and the Marxism of the Democrat Party. But uh, he really is the guy who took the heat for blocking Merrick Garland, and he's the guy who uh, broke all the China in the Senate, ended the Democrats' obstruction, and set up the assembly line to help President Trump and Mitch McConnell transform the federal judiciary from the five to four John Roberts court to the five to four Clarence Thomas court. And they also helped transform the critically important federal courts of appeals, these regional courts around the country that are the last stop for more than 99% of of federal appeals in this country. The Supreme Court only takes less than 100 case cases a year for oral arguments. So the, the courts of appeals are critically important. Not only did President Trump transformed the Supreme Court. He, he transformed these uh, critically important federal courts of appeals. And Ch- uh, Chuck Grassley, my former boss, again, is the unsung hero and and uh, one of the uh, key figures in helping Trump do this. Have you ever seen a president do something like this, just make such a huge impact on the court like this? 
This is just unprecedented, isn't it? It's it, what what president President Trump's biggest achievements and his most lasting legacy, most consequential legacy from his first term is his transformation of the federal judiciary. Laws come and go. Executive orders certainly come and go. But federal judges are there for life. I've got a couple of stray questions for you, if I might, besides the Dobbs decision. And one of which has to do with the Bruin decision, which was the New York Pistol and Gun Association case, and which once again reaffirmed the right to keep and bear arms, a personal pistol, and uh, not allowing somebody to, uh, for example, New York, to criminalize it. So um, so I was talking to another another attorney, and, and I wanted to run this by you. He seems to believe that as a result of this decision and the requirement of strict scrutiny, that any ammo... AK or I mean uh, AR15 any kinds of more regulations like that which would deprive somebody of the ability to use a weapon would also come under those kinds of regulations would also come under strict scrutiny is that does that comport with what you think so do you think that this might be true yeah i mean we have a god-given right to keep and bear arms in this country and that is secured through the 2nd and 14th amendments to the U.S. Constitution, the Second Amendment as it applies to the federal governments and the 14th Amendment as it, as it applies to the states. And before these constitutionalist judges on the Supreme Court uh, came out with Heller and McDonald's, uh, the, the two key uh, gun cases uh, that before, and actually this Bruin case as well in New York, the before these liberal politicians in these states made Americans go in and fill out applications with all this information and try to prove to the government that we are worthy of our, of our God-given right to keep and bear arms. And they would say we're not worthy. We have to remember the whole point of the Second Amendment is to protect us from government, whether it's government tyranny or government breakdown. And we've seen more than enough of that over the last two years with COVID and BLM riots and Antifa. So we know that Democrats and their governments are very capable of government tyranny and government breakdown. And the whole point of the Second Amendment, again, is to protect us from that. So if, why would we have to go in and ask permission from government to exercise a right that protects us from the government? It, it just doesn't make sense. So in this latest New York case, basically before in New York, you had to go in and improve, uh, you had to go in and prove to the state of New York that you were worthy Right. of a concealed carry permit, uh, the Supreme Court says, no, that's not the case anymore. The state has the burden now, the heavy burden of proving that we're unworthy, that we're a, a dangerous felon, that we're, you know, we have a dangerous mental illness that puts the community in danger. Uh, governments can still regulate guns just like they can regulate speech, but it, it's going to be with a more exacting standard, strict scrutiny. And do you think that that would come into play with respect to magazine uh, size limits and all that stuff? Sure. Absolutely. It's oh, amazing. That's <laughs> just to me. One more thing I wanted to ask you about, and that was the lemon test that went out the window with Gorsuch's decision today in the, the uh, Coach Kennedy lawsuit against the Bremerton School District. And uh, that's local uh, for West Coasters uh, and uh, the repudiation of the Ninth Circuit decision in this case, but how do you think this changes the ability to uh, engage in religious activity 
in a school setting? This is a monumental decision, six to three decision by my former boss, Justice Gorsuch, and it is key. Like you said, it threw out the lemon test. The lemon test, there are there are a couple issues at play here with the First Amendment. You have a First Amendment right to the free exercise of, of religion. You have a First Amendment right to free speech. There's also a First Amendment right to protect us from government-established religion. With the lemon test, the Democrats, the leftists, the liberals who are hostile towards religious liberties, towards religion generally, use the lemon test to say that just about anything that any government official did was the establishment of religion and therefore violated the First Amendment. So you had a high school coach who couldn't even pray by himself. If students want to join him, they could, but there was no pressure. Uh, He couldn't pray by himself. He got fired from his job because the school said that his prayers have violated the Establishment Clause to the uh, Constitution under the lemon test. And it's just garbage. And so I'm very happy that Justice Gorsuch and his five colleagues threw out the liberal lemon test and actually started applying the free exercise um, and free speech clauses of the First Amendment to protect us from this kind of government tyranny. Uh, These same schools want to indoctrinate kids with their woke Marxist ideology, their religion. But if a a Christian wants to just kneel and say a prayer on the side of a football field, uh, he's he's fired from his job. It's 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 garbage. And I'm glad that we have the tools now to fight back. And the tools are that there's not a balancing test per se. It actually has to be strict scrutiny and something that is opposed to the U.S. Constitution that the person's engaging in. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, these balancing tests are oftentimes a charade. It's just a way for liberals to get to the liberal result that they want and pretend like they're actually doing a legal analysis and following some sort of law. It's just garbage. And so I'm glad these lemons got thrown out. Um, Justice Sotomayor, in her dissent, said that today the court once again weakens its backstop. It elevates one individual's interest in personal religious exercise in the exact time and place of that individual's choosing over society's interest in protecting the separation between church and state, eroding the protections for religious liberty for all. I've never heard anything quite so illogical before. Well, I mean, I I like Justice Sotomayor personally. She's a wonderful lady. She reminds me of one of my aunts, but, uh, you know, her her legal analysis uh, is oftentimes more emotive than than analytical. So I, uh, you know, the, the, there's thank God President Trump transformed the Supreme Court. So uh, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan and soon Justice Katanji Brown Jackson will be right her, their dueling uh, dissents, uh, crying about their losses. Yeah, <laughs> Mike Davis, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.